Hi guys, quick one before we get into the episode. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster, which is the production suite that I've used from the very beginning of this podcast. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, hang around at the end of the episode for our 30% discount referral code. Thanks. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? Anything is a short answer. (laughs) So how many novels did you not finish? Oh my God, so many. (laughs) It was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. (laughs) This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. (laughs) You've got to hear first. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today, I'm joined by literary agent and founder of the Lindsay Literary Agency, Becky Bagnall. Hi, Becky. Welcome to the show. Hello, Jamie. Love to meet you. And you. Thanks so much for coming on. How's things in the world of publishing at the moment? Busy, I would say. Busy, yeah. (laughs) First word. That's the consensus I get from all the agents I've spoken to recently is that September, October, busy, busy, busy. Yeah. And I overcommitted this year. I think I, I, I think back in, you know, early, early spring, wherever it was, when people were saying, Oh, will you do this in September? Will you do this in September? And I was like, Yeah, of course I can. I've got loads. That's ages away. And then I suddenly got here and I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> Apart from this, of course, which I've committed to recently, which I'm yes. very excited about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so is that sort of like extra curricular stuff outside of yeah, work. so you get asked to do one-to-one tutorials. There's lots of sort of different sort of groups popping up that will do, you know, mm-hmm. either for, um, I suppose, free ones or, or that are paid for or different, I suppose, yeah, different, different stuff that, yeah, lots of stuff that, yeah, just extra to the job. But it's good to, it's good to do and that hasn't really happened for the last couple of years. So I think that's yeah. why we, yeah. I've actually, I, I did have, many years ago, I did have a one-to-one with an agent, which was invaluable as someone who was trying to sort of understand the writing industry and publishing and and the steps that you need to take, I did find it sort of extremely helpful. It really opened my eyes. But I was wondering, as an agent, what do you get back in terms of or is it a sort of just selfless act of giving, really? <laughs> well, some of them are not paid. Some of them are paid. So I suppose you do get a little bit. But to be honest with you, the amount of time they take is greater than the amount of money you would waste. So I don't do it mm-hmm. for the money. But it's nice when you get a little bit of extra because it, it does take a bit of chunk of time out. But yeah, the thing you get back is that sometimes you come across amazing I mean, authors. I mean, they're always, you know, they're always interesting to look at. But yeah. I suppose you're forced to spend a little bit more time than you would naturally do on a submission. So maybe, so for instance, sometimes, you know, the script that you might be sort of thinking, oh, I don't know, this is a maybe. And usually when it's a maybe, you have to say no, because you just don't have time to, to, to really, but in the case of a one-to-one, you get to meet them as well. And then they talk about other stuff and then you go, oh my God, actually they've got loads of other ideas. And actually, so you can be persuaded by the author, I suppose. Uh... So maybe, and uh, and maybe you come across people that are super keen. Perhaps there is more. The person that really wants to do the one to ones is more cares more about their work, and therefore, I don't know. I have I, so I have. Yeah, I suppose it's that you might. It's another way of meeting people. So mm-hmm. it's just it just gives you that little bit more time, and perhaps you find. So I've definitely I have come across people at conferences. So I mean, when you look at all the different ways that you find authors to represent, you never know where if it's going to be the person you sit next to on the bus, or if it's going to be the person the one to one, or if it's going to be some somebody in your submissions, you know, yeah. it could be anywhere. So I think that's you, I think to be open to every opportunity as an agent is always useful. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So it, it can act as a sort of extended 
submission, as it were. Like it's just a more intense action on that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, very cool. So let's talk about the agency, your agency, mm-hmm. Lindsay Literary, founded mm-hmm. in 2008. Mm-hmm. But am I right in thinking that you, you've been in publishing a long time before that? Yes, quite a while. So I first got into publishing when I was a student. I was at Trinity Dublin. So I'm from Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, my parents sent me to school in England. That's why I sound English, but I'm really I was going to say. <laughs> I think they were worried about the political situation there. Uh, so anyway, so then I went age very young to a boarding school in England, but then decided I definitely don't think I'm English. So I came to Trinity, which was wonderful. Absolutely loved Trinity Dublin. It was a really fantastic university. Did English literature there. And while I was there, I uh, started reading books for a, um, a publisher called the Lilliput Press. And so I became a kind of intern there and they didn't, they only paid me in books initially. And then eventually they gave me a job, which was great when I graduated. <laughs> um, and then yes, yeah, so I went there initially. And then I moved to back to England, to London, to I did temping actually initially. I was, yeah, just, I think I was in the production department of Penguin. Uh-huh. And then I got uh, my job at Macmillan as a, an editorial assistant. So yeah, so I've got, went through, I've been in publishing for, um, oh my goodness, we must be at 25 years or something like that now. <laughs> so a little while. <laughs> yeah, a long time. It's amazing how many agents go through editorial before becoming agents what was it that made you want to make that switch so I love being an editor and I think that was was something fantastic but I'll be completely frank here I had two children or rather I had one child initially (laughs) which made it really difficult I mean financially you're not paid very much in editorial I think unlike sales and marketing where Uh you can be competitive in across other industries editorial is very specific to publishing and I think it's still quite underpaid and so what I found was you know in order to have children and be an editor it just wasn't you know they they didn't weigh up the, the the childcare versus and so I just thought I can't I can't do I can't just justify this as a job where I earn nothing. So yeah, so I just then went freelance, which was great for a little bit, but working freelance, you can't work on the books that you, you can't get past, you can't commission. So yeah. yeah, so then I just thought, I know I can be an agent. Having thought I knew what it meant to be an agent, this was yeah, yeah 14 years ago. So I thought having dealt with lots of agents and, you know, having written contracts and et cetera, et cetera, and worked with authors obviously all my life. I thought I knew what I was doing, but now when I look back, I realise I really didn't. I've learned a lot in 14 years, and I'm now a much better agent than oh, okay. I perhaps was at the beginning. I mean, I was always passionate, but you know, mm-hmm. I think I've I've learned a lot along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it must have helped though, coming from the other side of the table, as it were. Oh, where yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you'd already had experience of what, I guess, what editors are looking for so from the agent side you could sort of angle your things your pitches more in in a publisher leading way yes i think that, i think all of that really helped and also i think preparing the author and the manuscript and everything for publishing i was very well set up for all of that i think what i was surprised at and i think the difficulty is that even when i absolutely love something and i think how could i not possibly sell it occasionally it happens that you don't sell your passion projects. Whereas as an editor, you can always, well, you can at least try and buy the the, the, the things that you're passionate about. Whereas mm. actually just that alone, it could be that it just, even though you find the perfect editor, 
to sell something to who absolutely loves it, but then her sales team won't back them or, you know, or whatever. There may be just, yeah. a, there's, I think what I say is there's, um, I think it's a Thomas Jefferson quote is that the harder I work, the more luck I find I have. <laughs> and that what I extract from that is that you can work really hard, but occasionally luck also comes into it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, there's, there's a, you know, you have to have, yeah, certain things have to fall into place. So you can be unlucky and also lucky. So, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, when people say like you create your own luck, it's, mm. I picture it like, yeah, if you roll more dice, you have more chance of getting a six. Absolutely. And I think that's the other thing with, with writing is that I have seen is that, authors who keep working and maybe try something different even though i would agree they've written something brilliant and it, maybe it yeah. didn't get across the line the next thing even though it might not feel as brilliant it might be the one that gets across the line which seems kind of contrary to all sort of but then maybe you can come back to that original yeah book no, so that's you know quite often the way actually yeah i mean one of my favorite authors who i probably talk about too much is brandon sanderson who his biggest um, sort of fantasy series. He, I think was the first thing he wrote. He then wrote 12 more books published. I think, I think he published a different trilogy and then another standalone and then eventually got to publish the first book oh. he ever wrote. And um, did that become the, his biggest one? Sorry. I don't know his writing. So I'm sorry. Yeah. He's a U uh, S fantasy author, extremely prolific. He was in the news recently because he released He'd written four books uh, out, outside of his contracted books, which he kickstarted, and it became the biggest Kickstarter of all time. Wow. Okay. Yeah, to self publish them. Indeed. Very interesting stuff. But yeah, it, you're so right in that it's good to just keep going and keep writing because you never know which is the one that's going to. Then it's not necessarily quality, obviously matters, but it's not necessarily about the quality. So much of it comes down to zeitgeist, the timing, yeah, like totally the right person, the right time. Yeah, that happens a lot. And it's really interesting, I think. So I had uh, an author whose work I thought was was really good, actually. I was, I was reading and I thought, okay, this is really good, but I wasn't quite jumping up and down. I was trying to work out what to do. And so I then at that point went back and said, mm, you haven't got anything else, have you? Because sometimes it's just, and she said, well, I am writing on something new. And then she sent it to me and I thought, oh my God, this is fantastic. This is amazing. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was just the difference between script. Well, she couldn't see the difference that one was so much better, but I don't know what had, I mean, it's really difficult to tell. So what is it that, you know, what takes it from being, yeah, this is really good to this is being, this is amazing. Yeah. And actually that one, I sadly didn't get to represent. So suddenly when I, <laughs> lots of people uh. were like, I know. So, you know, these ones that there are the fish that get away as well for an agent's perspective too. So, you know, yeah, but it's really interesting, the difference between, and sometimes an author can't see themselves or, or equal an agent can't necessarily know why one thing is suddenly really leaps off the page, but. Yeah, exactly. Some, some of these things are unquantifiable, like an, <laughs> yeah. a sort of X factor as it were. Definitely. So you represent children's books, picture books, all the way up to YA. Mm -hmm. Where do you think your main focus is, or are you really sort of spread across pretty evenly? So I would say it's quite even. I would say picture books I do really enjoy, but I would I find them much more difficult. They <laughs> you think they would be the easy thing, but they're really not. Oh. I think. 
I think a lot of people think they can write picture books, but they're actually it's quite complicated and quite hard to see something really brilliant to really stand out. So I would say I I, I feel less confident in that area, although I really oh. love a good picture book. But um, I would say, yeah, I mean, young adult and middle grade is definitely my heartland. I think I I struggle to find things that funny, but when I do find a funny book, then I absolutely, I mean, it's so great. I mean, that's the thing that really opens children's, you know, worlds and allows them to, to, to sort of uh, enjoy reading for the first time. So actually when I find something funny, I, I find I sell that immediately. And maybe it's because I've, yeah, quite harsh on what is and what isn't funny, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's wonderful. I love a good fantasy. I mean, you know, Philip Pullman, gosh, if I could find anything like that, <laughs> you know, that is I absolutely yeah. you know he's quite famous I guess yeah you know he's done quite well he's sadly not one of my authors but yeah so that kind of I mean I I, I would yeah that's and then YA I've sold a lot of YA YA is coming back which is great so I've done a lot yeah. of YA recently which is really really exciting so I was going to ask about that because I've heard from lots of people that YA is is growing quite rapidly in popularity at the moment. Yeah, it had a real dip. So I think around sort of Hunger Games time, it had mm. a had a real high. And then for a number of years, it was kind of, you know, um, no one would, you, all, you virtually, it was so hard to launch any <laughs> YA author. It was like, oh no. And actually in a way, I didn't find, weirdly I did during that period, I didn't find many people that I thought, I mean, I've got some that I've obviously represented throughout the time. They were kept writing, which is great. But I wasn't, I just wasn't finding it in, in all the various places that you look for new authors. But I just suddenly, interestingly, two authors I've sold recently, I um, both LGBT plus. And I remember at the time thinking, oh my God, this is brilliant. And then I found another one. I was like, oh, this one is amazing. And I thought, can I represent two that are, I mean, they were totally different scripts but I thought this is both at the same time they're both coming from a similar kind of background is this is this a mistake and I thought no I love them both sod it I'm just gonna and I've just sold both of them really really well so actually that was quite exciting in the and and you know both YA which you absolutely couldn't have done you know five years ago so that's do you think it was a saturation thing or do you think it was my theory would be that it that YA sort of got lumped into a certain category where it was either vampires or sort of, it, it was either Hunger Games or it was vampires and people struggled to see past that. I, I, I wonder if it's a combination of two things. I think it's because TikTok has brought back <laughs> reading. I think that is yeah. hugely influential. I think people, and I think maybe after the lockdown, maybe people have done too much, maybe too much social media. So therefore books is a, is a real escape. I mm-hmm. think, and I think, I think different things have brought it around. And also Netflix, I think because there are, and oh, sorry, all online streamers, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> in the, 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 they are looking for content. They are desperate for content to feed to. And books is a really good place to start and where they can see that it's already working. So they are yeah. looking to the book market to provide that content. So yeah, I would say it's the, it's the double whammy of, those two things so yeah there's a interest in books again and reading again i think tiktok and i think also the the that film i've sold many more film options as well so i think that's the um, that that interest is there and therefore publishers are more interested and then obviously they sell way more books if the, a film gets made or a tv series so i think there's all of those things going on do you when you so when you sell the book rights do you often also sell the film rights to this is it sort of a package thing uh no well i'd never sell my film rights to the publisher because Ah. i don't think that the publisher 
has any better ability to sell the film rights than I do and why would I give them a cut of that they will all they will do really yeah. well anyway so I think yeah. and and equally if any if they happen to talk to any film people they they just say where are the rights and then they come to me so it's not you know there's nothing there is no there's no barrier between me and the selling the film rights so I would always mm. try and keep the film rights back for an author and also sell those separately and though although sometimes we sell them at the same time as I sell to a publisher, but usually it happens a little bit later because normally we may want to work on the script a little bit more or, and it just takes a bit of time for the film world to sort of wake up. So quite often when it gets announced, uh, a book gets announced in the book trade that I've sold, then I will suddenly get lots of interest from more, you know, film scouts and different people looking for content. And I will have already submitted to various places, but somehow the announcement then then can you know, spur things on. Or some, I mean, there's all sorts of different. Again, a bit like how you find your agent, how you find your film deal. There's lots of different entry points and different ways of meeting and things happening. Yeah, and I'm and I'm very aware that lots of book rights for films and television, especially from debut novelists, get bought up and then sit in the sort of shelf in the back room in the warehouse of the film studio and 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 take many years to get made everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, absolutely. It's usually on an option. One mm. in ten. One in ten books optioned gets made. Wow. So, yeah. If you get the option, you've got a foot in the door. <laughs> yeah. But- <laughs> so, yeah. But the book, when you, when you get a film book deal, that in your contract, it says that they have to publish. They will publish. So that is the key. And actually, though, sometimes, though, not all publishers, you suddenly get a contract which doesn't actually fails to have that little clause in. That's just, that's why you need your agent. You go, Hang on. This, <laughs> this contract doesn't have, I you know, you must publish, which is, you know, usually you have a, you know, time frame and all sorts of things set out. So to make sure. I mean, I'm amazed when you suddenly go hang on this contract doesn't actually commit to publishing so yeah that is you know there are i mean you'd think that would be impossible but it is possible so yeah that's wild because you think that like that's what the whole contract is about like why else are we here (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely absolutely oh crazy Uh, no i mean most i mean sorry all all major publishers of course they commit to but you know Mm. there are new new people to the market who maybe just don't know or, or maybe there's you know i'm not saying they're doing it deliberately but you know anyway yeah, yeah. Before okay, so before we get on to the 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 juicy bit that that me and my listeners love hearing all about your submissions and things, mm-hmm. you and I were before we started recording briefly discussing NDAs and sort of their role in publishing. How often do you find that you have to sign NDAs or your authors have to sign NDAs? Okay, so not that often. Um, in yeah. fact, signing happens very rarely. You have to keep you're asked to keep quiet yeah. a lot of the time. So there's a sort of difference. And But um, signing does also happen. But I would say that it is it is frustrating because occasionally, so I was going to say, tell you this story, which is that a publisher who said, can you please not talk about your book on social media? And I had already just said, but, but you've got 
the cover of this book up on Amazon. <laughs> I, thought, I think they maybe don't realize I wasn't quite sure what it, you know, so occasionally that can, and that can feel frustrating for the author. You're like, well, hang on a second. But um, I think they maybe don't, didn't know. I don't, I don't know what happened in that particular <laughs> instance, but it is, it is frustrating because, you know, you're told to hold on. And I can see the timing of, definitely covers and different things like that yeah. getting all that it, do, it does help to have a sort of you know have a plan and to uh, try and come up together so and then also it's frustrating for instance when you know there is a film option and you know that this would mean we could sell in more territories or we could do different things but we're not allowed to talk about it so it's you know you go round around circles go oh if we could do this this would really and this would really help you and it would help us and you know mm. but you know it's yeah. one of those things. Yeah, it is what it is. It's a it's a funny old world. The, the, the sort of weird grey line between NDA or just being asked not to publish something, and the marketing team's like, no, this will be better, and this, that, the other, and and I know so many uh, writers and my friends who are authors who get news maybe three to six months before they're allowed to talk about said news. Mm. <laughs> so you you see lots of author feeds where they're like, I have exciting news that I can't tell you. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> that happens funny. so much yeah <laughs> but yeah anyway yeah it's yeah. it's just part of the yeah just try not to and then you realize actually it, it quite often comes out as i say another way so <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you never know with these things okay let's talk about submissions the the fun mm-hmm. part of this we, we all love this love to talk about how different agents approach their submission piles and, and things like that so let's before we get into the nitty-gritty is it just you at Lindsay Literary or do you have a, a team that helps you out? Um, so I have a team that helps me out. So I, I'm i the only agent, uh-huh. but I do have readers. So I have um, right. particular people. Some people do it freelance. I've got one particular person who, um, Eleanor, lovely Eleanor, who is doing a lot of reading for me at the moment. So yeah, so there will be a first phase where people will they go through the submissions mm-hmm. and uh, and then send me what they think. Uh, and so we, we catch up regularly and talk about what, what I like and what we're looking for. And then, yeah, then, then I kind of go through. I, it would be, I just couldn't go through my inbox myself because it's too big, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know, you know, we're talking about sometimes a hundred plus per week submissions is absolutely yeah. nuts. It might, with, when, when it comes to using readers, it's such a sort of, personal thing in some ways it must be do you spend a lot of time sort of sitting down with them and just explaining and talking about the things that you're looking for the styles that you like the things that you you represent yes I try to do that I mean it's an imperfect um situation I I I get that but I yes I spend quite a lot of time talking about what I want in fact I am talking to Eleanor straight after I talked to you this morning. So, and she sent me lots of things that I haven't actually looked at. So I feel really badly about that. But yes, but I think there are lots of ways. As I was saying to you before, there are lots of other ways though that authors come to me. So it might be, so it might be through conference. It might be through one-to-ones. It might be through the submissions, but mm-hmm. I, I, quite a lot do come straight through that way. So I have to, I have to trust that you know that they're going to send me good stuff and I think generally speaking they do I think they can they obviously they can see quality and then as long as it's you know it hits certain things that I'm looking for then then it gets sent to me I mean but of course I'm probably missing things and that that's yeah that's tough but unfortunately I just I don't have the time yeah I mean that's the bane of all agents isn't it just knowing that you probably are missing 
things every night because you can't you just simply can't catch them all no okay so let's get down to once uh, a submission has gotten through eleanor or, or whoever else is reading it and it reaches you presumably it comes as is and, and the package you ask for is a pretty par for the course i think it's a cover letter first three chapters synopsis mm-hmm. Did, that comes to you as it, you know, as if it had been sent straight to you, it's just been filtered through Eleanor. Is Absolutely. that right? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So when you open it up, which, which part do you go through first and what exactly are you looking for with each part? Okay. So the first thing I look at is the covering letter. Mm-hmm. And in that I do a quick scan. So I work out, you know, what the genre is, or, uh, you know, what the title is, what the, the general pitch is just to see if it, it, it intrigues me. I even, but having said that, as it's Eleanor, <laughs> I will yeah. definitely read it anyway. Yeah, if it was yeah. just me, because I do sometimes go into, I do go into the the submissions file as well. So if it comes to me, if I didn't like it, I might stop at that point. Although very unlikely, I usually always then open up the the writing and read at least the first page. So I, the very least, because if I've been put off by the covering letter and then I open and I'm put off by the writing again, I, that, that will be the only occasion which I will then go, okay, no, this is definitely not for me. But so then I start reading and if I'm enjoying it, I read to the first end of the first three chapters. If I'm halfway through going, uh, am I like, you know, if I'm uncertain, I then at that point will stop reading, go back to the covering letter go back to the synopsis and see where is this going is there a reason for me to want to is this going to encourage me to want to stick with it or is it putting me off so if i suddenly find out that the character that i absolutely love is going to die you know within the next uh, chapter and then you know something completely nuts is going to happen then i'll go Uh okay no maybe the script isn't for me but if in fact everything all the information that i find in the synopsis and the covering letter is like oh you know and this author's done this amazing thing and they're writing it because they've had this experience and because you know if lots of things are adding up to be positive i will then go back and finish the first three chapters uh, and and then decide so yeah there's a sort of there's a i mean i suppose i'm trying to be as efficient with my time as possible yeah. but also to give each author the you know the, their due as it were so but yeah i mean the writing is always the most important thing and do you discuss those with eleanor or wh- whoever has has read it or do you just get does she just forward it on to you and you kind of read it in isolation no so she and I occasionally, well, so we will, um, I might go, okay, I quite like this. I'm not sure. And if she goes, oh, I really like it. So then I will say, right, we'll request the full script and then we'll see. Or we both, you know, say both love it, you know, we'll have a look or, um, and then sometimes I take it over. Sometimes I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, yeah. So whether Eleanor, you know, might become an agent or something at some point, she's, she's, um, only working part-time. So I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if she was passionate about something, then I would definitely respect that and be interested to see where it would go. But yeah, essentially, it's whether at the moment it's whether I I really love it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's really interesting. And with submissions, do you have any pet peeves that will just give you pause when you're going through it? Well, I I think everyone has a few. I think I try <laughs> not to. <laughs> Because uh, sometimes, you know, to so I mean, actually, if you go back to when I was a an editorial assistant, 
I, for instance, mountain books, I would never have said I wanted to read a book about climbing a mountain nonfiction. It just would be no way. Yeah. But I met someone and they said they were writing a book on climbing a mountain. And I thought, oh God. (laughs) And I said, well, send it to me because you never know. And Actually, they hadn't written the book at all. They'd only written the first chapter, but I read that first chapter and she was really, it just made me think, wow, this is, this is what it feels like to click a And it, I kept, and so I sent me another chapter and then they sent me chapter by chapter and I went, this is really good. And yeah. um, anyway, I proposed it and we published that book and it sold, I think, 50,000 copies in the first month or something amazing. Wow. And it was really, yes. And it was, do you know who this was? Bear Grylls. Oh, well. So it was was weird because he wasn't famous at that stage. He was... Oh. No, he... So from that, he took the book and then he started doing talks at the RGS, the Royal Geographical Society. And then Gillette, I think, got in touch and said, oh, we think you'd be a great face for our, you know, next ad campaign. And then from that, he got into TV. And that was all because I I met him at a charity, some charity event in London. That's amazing. And that was just random. So yeah, and actually, <laughs> one silly story is that I was worried because he was called Bear. I was like, oh, do you think that's a bit too posh? Do you think you know? Do you think that's going to wash with you know? And he's like, no, there's one thing that's non-negotiable, and that's my name. And in <laughs> fairness, you know, the idea now that we were going to try and you know, can we maybe make you you know? But no, and, that, and he carried it off. So fair play to him, you know. That was yeah, and that was all how that started, which was quite interesting, but. Wow. No, that, I mean, that's, that's such a cool story. <laughs> and funny to think that you tried to persuade Bear Grylls to change his I name. I know. I feel really <laughs> embarrassed about that now. But <laughs> Amazing. So rounding this off before we move on to the much dreaded final question, it is September. No, it's not. It's October. It's October 2022. <laughs> Gosh, time flies. You are open to submissions. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping to add to your list in in the upcoming future? Well, I am looking for a big fantasy. I haven't represented a big fantasy for a while, so I would love a kind of middle grade fantasy. But I mean, I always say what I would love, and then I pick up something completely different. <laughs> so, but yeah, and maybe a fantasy with a love story, great world building. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean that, but then I also love funny and I love, you know, all all sorts of different things. So I think it's, um, I I suppose it's just that unique, different, something, bringing something new to the table. Yeah. But going with all the old classics. Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny how, how often, um, agents come on and I ask them a question and they say, Oh yeah, I'd like this, this and this. But also whenever I say something I like, I usually end up picking up a ton of things that have nothing to do with the thing I asked for. (laughs) Yeah. You just never know. I mean, that's part of the joy of the whole profession, right? It's you never know what's going to sweep you off oh, your feet. That's what's so exciting. You don't know what's in your inbox. I mean, you open it and go, oh, wow. You know, yeah. that's, I think, you know, you want to be surprised. I think that's definitely one of the, one of the great, great things about the job. But there is yeah. some great bits. So, Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that brings us to <gasps> the final question, oh, which no. is <laughs> Becky if you were stranded on a desert island but could take a single book with you, which would it be? Okay, so I struggled with this. <laughs> I wrote three down and I've okay. got reasons for each one and I'm really sorry. So the first one, from a children's perspective, and actually just even as an adult, it's got nothing to do with being 
a children's agent, but I Capture the Castle by uh, uh-huh. Dodie Smith. I just love that book and I go back to it and I've reread it lots of times and I think it is a perfect kind of young adult script. So that one is one, but could I reread it over and over again? I, if that's the only book I've got, I would struggle. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, so Ulysses, obviously being at mm-hmm. Trinity Dublin, James Joyce, we studied James Joyce. And I have to say, I found Ulysses completely impenetrable the first time I read it. It's like, <laughs> what is this? I don't know. And then I had lectures on it and I was like, oh my God, it's the most amazing book ever. And I realized yeah. I could spend much more time in it. But that's because I have a degree in, you know, in, in the, so I wouldn't recommend it necessarily for, because I, <laughs> I did find it very difficult. But I think if I was on the desert island, you see, I could then, I could spend loads of time and really, really understand, you know, all the bits that I didn't understand. And I could, yeah. you know, do so. And then leading on from that, I thought, oh my God, the Odyssey. So I've never read the Odyssey. <laughs> and I was thinking, and I, I Greek myths, I lo- uh, absolutely love like Madeline Miller, you know, all the, the, the new ones that are coming through mm-hmm. and the real yeah, yeah. are amazing. But I thought, I've never actually read the Odyssey. So I thought, gee, if I took that, then I would become, wouldn't that be, yeah, that and with the English and Greek translation, or whatever, you know, then that would, that would keep me busy. So you could learn be, Greek. There you go. Yes. Wouldn't that be, you see there, I'm giving myself multiple jobs because I think I'm a, I need jobs. So that would be, yeah. So there you go. So I'm really sorry. That's three. <laughs> I mean, Odyssey is pretty hefty. I feel like it wins in, in length maybe. Yeah. That's why what, you couldn't have like short. I mean, you know, if you're stuck, if you've only got one. <laughs> yeah. So have you read it? I mean, that's the. I've not, no. It's, the Odyssey has got to be one of those books where I think so many uh, readers uh, it's on the to be read list, but it's the yeah. book that always is the bottom of the to be read list. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to at some point. I feel really. I mean, I obviously read bits of, and I and I feel like I know it, but I obviously don't because I have never read it. So I think that's always the good thing about serious readers is that they mm. admit very freely when they haven't done something. And I feel oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a this is a big gap, perhaps. So. Yes, I own a lot of books that I consider myself to should have read. Uh, and and I, I see them every now and again, and I'm like, oh yeah, that I'm reading that. Next. I'm reading that next, and then obviously yeah. the shiny new thing comes out. I have to buy it immediately and read it. So <laughs> oh, I am a I'm yeah. Although one tip, I have become obsessed with Audible, so um, oh yeah, audio books. So as well, I've realised I've now tripled my reading capacity. So in all those moments in between when you couldn't possibly be reading, like when you're driving or walking or anything else, I'm listening, and I have I'm going through all the classics. So I have gone through the entire of. Oh, Trollope, wow. Trollope, well, hang on, <laughs> George Eliot, you know, Dickens, um, oh, yeah. you name it, anything yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I ought to have read, I am, yeah, but I am whipping through. You see, this is what you can do with audio. You can really find those hours where you couldn't read, you now can read. So, yeah, when you're doing something that's sort of mundane that you need to do anyway as well. Yeah, like cooking. So mm-hmm. a lot of cooking, as long as you know, sorry, that's as long as you know what you're cooking, otherwise it goes very <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I've tried yeah. to do that, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I listened. I did. I did some classics on Audible. Actually, I done. I did the picture of Dorian Gray on there. <gasps> I love that book. I loved it too. And after I I read slash listened to the book when I was in my mid twenties, and I was so glad that I didn't study it at school because I feel like it would have killed it for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I didn't study that either. I just, but I did read that when I was quite young, and I just, oh my god, it's one that's really stuck. In, yeah. In fact, I met someone once who called their child Dorian. <laughs> do I, I don't know if I do that. <laughs> I know they had never read the book, and I was oh. thinking, mm. <laughs> oh. not such a good choice, perhaps. Yeah, like um, all those parents that called their daughters Daenerys oh, when yes. Game of Thrones was big. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's funny. Oh my god! But we could talk all day. I've got. To I'm so sorry. Yes. Point. Right. Quick. Quick. Sorry. I've talked too much. <laughs> no, that was great. If I had to press you to pick one of those three books, which would it be? Okay. Well, because I haven't read the Odyssey, I think I can't pick that because people do. So people take... people go oh, for really? the ones they haven't read. Yeah, the the brave ones. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to pick the Odyssey then. Let's go I'm pick the it. Odyssey. Yay. Okay. <laughs> That's great. I mean, you know, I, I feel like with when it, when it comes to something as sort of with the legacy of that book, you know that there's going to be something good in there. Oh, you're you. going to have to. Yeah. You, yeah. But then isn't that, maybe that's why I'm an agent, because I'm always looking for the new, even though that's so old, <laughs> but in the sense it's something that I haven't yet read. So yeah. I'm always, what what's around the corner? What could be better? Mm. What could be, you know, and that's that inquisitive sort of part of my although mm, yeah <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for i guess but, i know i it's going to be a hard one but luckily i'm stuck on a desert island so i've got nothing else to do so. there you go easy peasy <laughs> i bet also reading something like that you would as you read through it you go wow i've read so many books seen so many movies which like almost mirror Hot. these all these yes. stories and and it's that the other well, great choice. And thank you so much, Becky, for coming on the podcast and sharing your experiences and talking about publishing and everything that you're up to. It's been really, really interesting meeting you and chatting with you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to be um, asked onto this podcast. Really kind and interesting chatting to you. Um, so thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And to anyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Lindsay's doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Lin- what Lindsay's doing, what Becky's doing. <laughs> you can follow her on Twitter at Lindsay Lit. That's Lindsay with an A. Uh, and if you're thinking of submitting to Becky, uh, definitely head over to the website www.lindsayliteraryagency.co.uk to find out more about the specifics and requirements of submitting. Uh, to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK and on Instagram and TikTok at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks again to Becky and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for hanging around until the end. If you're interested in starting your own podcast but aren't really sure what that looks like, I can't recommend Zencaster enough. It's so simple to host, record and download your podcast with and it even has a built-in transcription AI. It functions entirely in the internet browser, which means all your guests have to do is click on a link and they'll be brought into the conversation. If you click on the link in the description, you'll get 30% off the first three months. All you have to do is click on the link in the description. Thanks again for supporting the show and we'll see you in the next episode.